No, you can find the resurrection mentioned on virtually every page of the New Testament if you really look for it. And uh, we have some great truths that we're going to look at this morning in the book of 2 Corinthians, which are practical results of this resurrection which we're celebrating this morning of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that uh, has been special to me since being here in New York is many of you who have come up to me and gifted me with a book, you know, that I like to read. And uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now is the biography of D.L. Moody. Another book that was gifted to me some time ago was by, was a book by, written by A.B. Simpson. It was given to me by Ted Pryor. Uh, it's a weighty volume, but one of the things that A.B. Simpson said during his lifetime is that Easter is the New Year's Day of the soul. And so if he's correct, then I guess I could be up here saying this morning, Happy New Year. The only thing I don't like about that statement is I don't like the word Easter because today is not about chocolate bunnies. Today is not about Easter eggs. Today is the resurrection day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're here to worship him, the only one, the only one the risen Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus. Back in the 18th century, the United States Congress issued a special edition of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Now, if you know anything about Thomas Jefferson, he was a naturalist. He didn't believe in the supernatural. And so he took a razor blade, and you've got a picture of it up here on the screen this morning. This is his Bible, his special edition of the Bible. He took a razor blade and some glue, and he restructured the New Testament. And he took out all of the miracles and all of the supernatural events, and he took out the resurrection. And so his Bible ended in a naturalistic way with this statement, they laid Jesus in the tomb and they rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulchre and there they departed. Now, thank goodness my Bible tells us the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Turn back to Matthew 28 again for just a moment and look at what the Bible really says as it proclaims to us the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first gospel in the New Testament, in chapter 28, we read, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. And then this invitation, Come see the place where he lay. You got your Bible open 
underline that last phrase because I think the invitation of the angel, that first resurrection day, is a personal invitation to every one of us in this room this morning. This is your personal invitation this morning to come see where he lay. Investigate the reality of the resurrection for yourself. This is your personal invitation this morning. Whether you're a longtime believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been worshiping on Easter for many Sundays over decades, and this is your personal invitation this morning. If you happen to be a guest here and you're not so sure, you're not so sure what to believe because you've heard lots of different things about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you just don't know really what the truth is. Thomas Arnold, headmaster of rugby and professor of history at Oxford University, made this statement many years ago, and I want to read it for you. I've been used for many years to study the history of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquiry than the great sign that God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. And so if you're here this morning and you're not so sure what to think about what this guy is saying up there right now, I would encourage you to investigate for yourself. The invitation of the angel is your personal invitation this morning to consider the Lord Jesus Christ and the evidence for the resurrection. Now, there was a great Puritan preacher who lived many, many years ago by the name of John Owen, and he wrote a treatise called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. And I think that summarizes the truth of what we're talking about this morning. The death of death in the death of of Christ. So if what Matthew wrote in his gospel is true, and if what Thomas Arnold researched is true, and if what John Owen, the preacher, proclaimed when he said the death of death and the death of Christ is true, then my question this morning is, what are some practical effects or results of the resurrection that we can take with us this morning when we leave here for our everyday lives. Because this is not just some abstract doctrinal piece of Scripture that we're proclaiming this morning. What we're talking about today has very practical results for our everyday lives. And I want you to see four of them in this passage of Scripture, which Rick just read for us. Number one... I want you to notice here in 2 Corinthians that one of the practical results of the resurrection in your life and mine is new heart for living every day. Notice what the Apostle Paul said again in 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we speak 
because we know. Now, underline that little phrase. If you're following along in your notes with the bottom of page one, if you're into underlying your Bible, underline that phrase, because we know. He doesn't say, because we wish or because I think. He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with, with you in his presence. Now, in this verse of Scripture, Paul quotes from Psalm 116, verse 10. And if you turn back to Psalm 116, 10, and notice what he quotes, and if you look at Psalm 116, then you'll notice that Psalm 116 is a very personal psalm of praise for God's deliverance from discouragement and difficulty and death. Is your life like mine? Do you ever get discouraged? Now, you're in church this morning, so you got to be honest. And it's Easter Sunday, so you've really got to be honest, okay? It's Resurrection Day. So I want to see your hand right now. Do you ever get discouraged? Have you ever been discouraged at some point in your life? We all have, haven't we? Because earth is not heaven. And we experience difficulty. And we go through, through things like death this side of heaven. And life is filled with suffering. And if you take the time to read 2 Corinthians 4 this morning, then you'll see that the Apostle Paul was not immune to difficulty, disaster, and suffering in his life. And yet he says here in verse 16, if you're following along now in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse 16 of this chapter, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, why could he say that? Because of the resurrection. Look back at verses 13 and 14. Because he believed in the reality of the resurrection. And so regardless of what difficulties came his way, and regardless of what he might encounter as he he went through this earthly life, he could say in verse 16, therefore, we don't lose heart. The resurrection, one of the results of the resurrection in our lives is it should give us new heart for daily living if we truly believe what we're talking about this morning. And that was the practical effect in Paul's life. This word to lose heart means to lose spirit. It means literally to become disheartened or to become despondent or faint-hearted. Last week, if you were with us, then I talked about the one book that I've ever written in my life back in 2010. One of uh, the prolific Christian authors living in our day is Dr. David Jeremiah, and he's written a lot more than just one book. And he wrote a book called God Loves You. And after he wrote that book, he said, I've discovered a new phrase about writing. He said it's called relentless incrementalism. And then he went on to describe what he meant by relentless incrementalism. That means that you take each phrase when you're writing and authoring a book 
And if you take it seriously, you pour yourself into that. And he said, I've discovered that there are a lot of different phrases in, in, in phases in writing books. You go through inspiration. You have the idea of what you want to write. And so you're inspired to do it. And then you have incubation. You let that sit in the crock pot for a little bit and it simmers and, and you develop some thoughts and you begin to write them down. And then investigation, you have to investigate a little bit if you're going to write a book. Creation, publication, and circulation. But his point was, it was incremental. Relentless incrementalism. Living life on a daily basis is like writing a book. It's relentless and it's incremental. You can only live one day at a time. And some of those days are discouraging days. You encounter difficulty. Some are filled with sunshine, but others are cloudy and overcast. And you get up in the morning and you have to face something that you'd rather not have to face. And what Paul is saying here this morning is the resurrection gives us new heart. In the midst of the daily difficulties of relentless incrementalism, facing each day, one day at a time, the resurrection gives us new heart. And the reason we have new heart is because the resurrection gives us new hope. Look at verses 17 and 18 in this passage, and notice what Paul goes on to say. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles, and yes, this life is filled with trouble and difficulty, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, he says in verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We can have new heart because we have new hope. We're not bound by the temporary troubles of daily living. Yes, earth is not heaven. And yes, we have to face things today that we might not want to face. But we have a new hope because of the resurrection. We have the hope of this eternal glory that he writes about here in verses 17 and 18. The hope of the resurrection. Because he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. And that was Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. Christ the first fruits. And then we follow. We have this new hope of resurrection. Now, look at verse 17 again for just a moment. And notice that little phrase, outwardly wasting away, at the beginning of verse 17. You see that phrase? That means to decay or to be destroyed. It's the same word used in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, where Jesus is talking, and he talks about our purses wearing out where moths get in and eat up something that's physical and material. 
physical, material things don't last. They're going to wear out. And in the same way that our purses wear out, our bodies are wearing out. I got an amen there. I guess this is a Baptist church. And they are wearing out. You know, when I was a kid, somebody told me that from the day that you're born, you're preparing to die. Now, it doesn't feel that way when you're eight years old or nine years old or 13 or 14, and I'm looking out here at some 20s and somethings today. It doesn't feel that way. But you get to this side of life, and I now know what that guy was talking about. Because our bat bodies are wearing out. They're wasting away. That's, that's temporarily, temporary earthly existence. That's just the reality of it. We're not going to live forever in these earthly bodies. It's an interesting Greek word that he uses here. Several years ago, I ran across, uh, and I'm sure you've seen stuff like it, signs that you're getting older. And here are just a few of them. The gleam in your eyes is from the sun hitting your bifocals. Or your little black book contains only names that end in MD. Your children begin to look middle-aged. Your favorite part of the newspaper is 20 years ago today. You sit in a rocking chair and you can't get it going. Your knees buckle and your belt won't. You're 17 around the neck, 42 around the waist, and 95 around the golf course. Some of these are a little painful. You sink your teeth into steak and they stay there. You sing along with elevator music. You'd rather go to work than stay home sick. It goes on and on. But the reality is, this earthly existence is temporary. And our bodies are wasting away. That's just the reality of it. And yet he says, this light momentary affliction, these light momentary troubles, and he calls them momentary because... This is temporary when compared to eternity. They're like nothing. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes. That's intentionality. That's fixing your eyes, choosing to focus, not on here but there, not on now but then. That's intentionality intentionality. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen. That's a choice we make in the midst of the difficulties and the struggles. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is not seen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is not seen is eternal. And that gives us new hope, new life. Now, the third truth I want you to see in this passage this morning is that we have a new, the promise of a new home. Look at verses 1 through 5 in 2 Corinthians 5, which Rick read for us. 
For we know, underline that phrase again, would you? I think we just saw that phrase earlier, didn't we? He said, for we know. He doesn't say we wish. He doesn't say, I hope, I hope, I hope. This is certainty. This is confidence. For we know that if we have the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, now he's talking about our earthly bodies, which are wearing out and wasting away. We have a building from God, a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this earthly tent, this earthly body, we groan longing to put on a heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent. This is an analogy now. You you take a tent, you put it up, and then you, you fold it up and you take it down. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so now he goes on to talk about this new home, this new body that we will have one day in eternity because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that the deposit guaranteeing this is the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Look at verse 5 again. That's your guarantee, your deposit, that this is a reality and not just a wish. And so we have this promise not only of new heart and new hope, but of a new home in this passage of Scripture. Many, many years ago, before my mother died and went to heaven, she wrote a book, and it was her legacy for her children and her family. And in that book, she talked about all of the homes that we lived in growing up as kids And I think my parents moved something like 16 times in their lifetime. And so she talks about all of these homes, three of them in Colorado Springs and two of them in Dallas and two of them in College Station, Texas, and all of these homes that they lived in. But one of the things that you need to know about all those homes that we lived in as a family is that they were temporary. We moved out of every one of them. My mother loved to move and to decorate a new home. It's a wonder my father didn't go broke. That was one of her favorite things to do, to move. It was a new adventure and to decorate a new house. And every one of those homes for my mom represented a chapter, a season in our lives. And there was a story behind each home and each chapter. But every chapter was temporary. It's like writing a book. You move from one chapter to the next. These earthly bodies are temporary. They're just a temp. It's like writing a chapter. One day we will move out of these bodies. The question on the floor this morning is when you move out of this body, where are you moving to? Every one of us in this room this morning is going to live for eternity. God created us to live eternally. It's just a question of where your street address is going to be. Are you going to be living in hell, which is a reality, or will you be living in heaven? And the difference 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. What you decide about him. Have you given your life to him? Have you trusted him as Savior? Have you taken him as your Lord? And if he's your Savior this morning, if you've trusted him today, then your permanent address isn't going to be some home here on earth, but it will be an eternal address, a permanent address in heaven, a new home. Now, in this passage, Paul is obviously talking about a new body which we're going to get when Jesus Christ comes again. We'll have a new heavenly body someday. But I want you to listen to these words now in John 14 and listen to how Jesus describes heaven as our home that Jesus is preparing for all of those that trust in in Christ as their Savior. Here's what he says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. See, the temptation is to lose heart and to give up on hope and to stop thinking about heaven and become so fixated on earth that we get all agitated. And, 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 but he says, don't do that. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there on purpose to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. It's like money in the bank. You can guarantee, it's guaranteed, you can count on it. I'm coming back to, so that where I am, there you may be also. Do you ever have the experience as a kid of going to grandma's house and you had a long drive to get there? Anybody ever had that experience? Could I just see your hands? Some of you more than others. Some of you may have had your grandparents living close by, but my grandparents, we lived in Colorado Springs. They lived in the panhandle of Texas. So we had this long eight-hour drive approximately back in those days to get there and sometimes we'd get car sick. You ever had that experience of getting car sick while you're going to your grandma's? Anybody? You know, and you get so sick that you think, man, when is this trip going to end? Life is a little bit like that. It's like driving to grandma's house and you get car sick and you can't wait for it to be over and you wonder, you wonder if you can endure, you wonder if you can make it, you wonder if you can get there. But then you get to grandma's house, and all of a sudden, it's all forgotten. Because you wake up in the morning and you eat grandma's breakfast, and man, grandma treats you pretty well. We have the promise of a destination, and it's better than grandma's house. It's called heaven, and it's not temporary, it's a new home that's eternal. And it's the other practical result of the resurrection that we're talking about this morning. And then the last thought today is that we have a new heartbeat. Notice how he concludes in verse 9. So we make it our aim. We make it our aim in light of these great truths which we've been talking about this morning. We make it our aim to please him. 
underline those words in verse 9 of chapter 5. This is a new heartbeat. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's given us, we have a new heartbeat, a new aim this morning. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about two very special people that we have lost in this church family just in the last month. Gary Maslowski and Krista Dowdis. If you're a guest here today, those, those names may not mean anything to you, but to us in this church family, they mean a lot. They were two very special people, and they had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I learned about them toward the end of their lives is that they had a singular aim. You know what their aim was? Their aim was to please Him. That's why they lived life. And if you spend any time with Gary Maslowski at his home while he was lying in that bed in pain, or if you had a moment to touch base with Krista Dowdis before she went home to heaven, then you would know the most important thing to them in life was their heartbeat. Their heartbeat was to live life in order to please him. And that's the last practical result this morning. What are you living life for? What are you living life for? Because at the end of the day, this is temporary and that's eternal. And we have new hope. We have a new heart. We have a new home. And God's given us a new reason for living this morning, a new heartbeat. Now, today we're going to close with two very special praise songs And I want you to just listen to the words as Nate leads us through them, Cornerstone and Oh, Praise the Name. If we could just close with those two two songs this morning, and then we're going to close out with a hymn. We've got to worship the Lord. Let's stand together.